Good afternoon. Yo. <laughs> I, I, I think we may be separating you from a martini or something. I don't know, but uh, I never like to be between uh, people in the and and the happy hour. But I think we can give you a happy half hour here. We'll try uh, with uh, with Kenya. Um, Kenya, let's jump right in. Um, you know, as a kid, I played baseball, and I would say that I was lucky that I could run and hit. So I got to be a double threat. Okay. Um, at least in my own mind. But um, it, as I look at your career right now, and I've had the pleasure of considering you a friend for uh, a few years here, but as I look at your career now, you clearly qualify as a triple threat, uh, adding in really uh, more recently directing to writing and producing and show running and the things you've done. And I, I know this audience is familiar with it, but you know, you've got a great track record of kind of bringing things out that are issues of the day in an interesting way. But talk to me about the triple threat and talk to me about uh, directing as part of that uh, retinue now. Uh, it, where would you put the highest value, Kenya, in terms of, for you personally, does one have more influence, writing, directing, producing? What gets you excited? All of them or Write, one particular? I think writing, I'm a writer. Someone asked when I got off, like, I'm a writer. I, you know, graduating, I wanted to be a director. I wanted to be Spike Lee. You find out really quickly, directing is expensive. You know, and I was a PA, and I knew all I needed was a laptop. And then one day, the budget of what the writers were on, you know, on set were getting, and I was like, I think this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> I think this is the way you go. And then television writers are king. And I think that was a thing for me to really see how much, you know, you got to really do everything. It got me into to directing. I could give myself the job. Um, you know, producing was was bringing it all together. I think acting was the thing that was the small route. That was the that's the scariest, hardest work. But I definitely feel like I'm a writer, and I feel like that's the thing that I want to do if I could just do for the rest of my life. But when you put the words on the page, the ability to be the producer and the director to bring the words to life through the talent. That's got to that's got to give you a charge. I mean, that's got to get you going. You Absolutely. get to actually make it happen. Absolutely, and I think that led to me directing, because when you would write something, and you know, I did a movie, got made. It was a really, you know, I was super excited, and it did not come out the way I wanted it to come out, and it made me feel like I don't want to do that anymore. So if I felt like if I really really care about something, I, I need to at least try and step up and say let me try to make it as I saw it in my mind. So that was kind of how that was, you know, gave birth to that. Well, having just watched you people, I think, I hope you, you feel like what, what I saw on the screen was what you, what you envisaged because... I, I, I think that I tried to get... I think that's the closest I've come to what I wrote being what I, what I put out. And that was a fight, but I do feel like it was something, you know, I learned that moving forward, I will, if I direct something, it'll be something I write. There you go. Kenya, um, the triple threat that I talked about, not everybody has the ability to, you know, do all the things you do, but what I've seen over the last couple of years is talent in general are also looking for their other strengths, their other opportunities. Just because somebody's good in front of the camera, maybe they now want to be behind the camera. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, uh, the talent that I've had the pleasure of interacting with these days they're looking at building businesses that are different. They are looking at whether it's their own brand of 
clothing or their own brand of alcohol or their own brand of whatever it may be. And some of it may be um, purpose-driven, some of it may be profit-driven, mm-hmm. some of it may be both of those rolled up into one, that's okay. But it, it seems like um, success in media today isn't just what you're doing, as I say, in front of the camera. It's it's what you're doing as a, as a, as a business. Absolutely. And... It also, I think, impacts the way people re- respect, react to content creation and, 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 and people in the entertainment industry. How are you seeing that manifested both personally but also around you? You know, you, you interact with, with folks who do similar things to you every day. Um, Jay-Z has a line in one of his songs. He says, I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman. You know what I'm saying? And I, I think that, you know, coming from hip-hop and seeing, like, what hip-hop was a, a big from Russell Sim those guys started understanding how you have to diversify, for me. And I would think that was the first time like the hood kind of got it, that you couldn't just do, you shouldn't just do one thing, you know, being, and that was something that I went into it saying, like, I feel like I want to, I started as a PA, I went all the way up, and I was like, I want to learn as many of these things as I can, um, and find the ones that really affect what I, you know, how I want to tell my stories. And so I feel like, you know, it is, I think imperative for this next generation, especially with so much of, our, of how we consume media coming basically out of the same place for us to really understand all aspects of it. I think the business part of being a creative sometimes gets lost, but I feel like if you don't hold on to it, you will lose your vision. Well, somebody really smart taught me something a long time ago is they call it show business for a reason. Yeah. There's the show and there's the business. And looking at it through that lens is a good transition to to um, to a question that I'll come back to later. But I want to come back to something m- m- more topical in terms of Kenya Barris as a, as a creator. You've never been afraid to tapple, tackle kind of topics of the moment. You know, we, we live in a society today where people, you know, run a little scared about talking about controversial subjects or shining a light on controversial subjects for fear of alienation or cancellation, cancellation mm-hmm. you know, either one, neither are fun. <laughs> but um, your motivation, your goals to want to approach the content that you create in that way kind of capturing the zeitgeist and in many ways you know candidly and i mean this with such a great degree of respect being ahead of the zeitgeist because you're poking holes at things or you know finding those holes ahead of others and that's why your track record is what it is but is the motivation where does that come from and and how do you how, how do you kind of land on those things does it come from your heart does it come from your head does it come from both I think it comes from some of my heroes. You know, I think it comes from, I look at James Baldwin, I look at you know, people who said, like, this is the box you're putting me in, I'm going to step out of that box. And I feel like I look at you, like, you know, just the idea of why not, the people that I look up to saw something and said, I want to do more. You know, and I feel like, um, you know, I personally think that the best way to deal with stuff, I think that I've said this before, I think the least safe space in the world are safe spaces. You know what I'm saying? is when you get people who are in a safe space, they become echo chambers of just the same like-minded thoughts that don't really grow. I think the real safe space is people who can respect each other and have different opinions and can get in that room and talk. To me, that's a safe space and that allows for growth. And I think the best way that you can do that is actually the things that people sort of want to tiptoe around, you hit them head on. And I've had so many people come up and say, oh my God, 
your family's just like mine. I'm like, yeah, Van's a family. You know, like in the idea of like we're so worried about what's proper and what's you know correct. And I feel like I am just not a fan of cancel culture. I feel like as an artist, you cannot create from a fearful place. And if you're if you're worried about if you're worried about offending someone or being fearful or you know how can you actually grow? I'm not a fan of malice and people being malicious. I think that's the line for me. But I think if you have something to say and it might upset some people, then maybe you really need to say it. You know what I'm saying? But think, you know, put, a, put that person in a situation where there's enough people who have different points of view so that you get a really robust conversation. And you avoid the echo chamber because yes. otherwise, you know, and we see too much of that right now. Yes. The echo chambers are the scariest part to me because you just, we can, we can be hearing this story or that story. I'm not relating this to news, but, but it certainly impacts us. Yes. And if you never are listening to the other argument or the other facts, you, you get into that echo chamber, you're lost. I agree. And I think, you know, particularly like we're liberals, but you see it sometimes in the same, you know, with conservative. I think the idea of like it's become like a cult of, you know, you have to believe in whatever your side and everything. And I feel like that to me is not growth. You know what I'm saying? I feel like there are some things from across the aisle that people can gain from. There's some things from other cultures. There's some things from just so many different places, but you have to have enough respect for just, you know, who we are as human beings and the sort of diversity and the languages that that diversity can teach us to really grow. So, Kenya, you bring up such an important word right now, diversity. Um, We deal with it every day, uh, looking at talent and looking at diversity of thought and diversity of ideas, but also diversity of creation and content. And, you know, you and I have chatted about this over the years, and it certainly has come to the fore more in the last year or two than ever before, which is the focus on, from, a, from a, the lens of investing, in investing, whether it's media buying or whether it's content creation in, you know, diverse creators, diverse owned companies, BIPOC, um, it, it's become such a, a buzzword in the media industry um, but it should be more than a buzzword. It should be something we're doing because it's the right thing to be doing, not because you have to tick a box. But let's let's talk about that because you know the the, the um, moment in 2022 or 2021 when everybody woke up and said, "Wait a minute, we've got a real problem here." We're seeing marketers, we're seeing the large brands make commitments against the backdrop of you know, BIPOC-owned media, but with a particular focus on Black-owned media and Black-themed media. How are you seeing that manifest itself both in production and the flow of money that you see as a creator? Do you think that's giving you an advantage? And is the advantage enough? You know, you've, you've gotten here because you're a really talented person, not because you're a person of color. Right. But how are those two playing in terms of that? And, and there's a charged question. <laughs> it's helped and hurt, if I'm going to be honest with you. You know what I'm saying? I think that I would be being completely just, you know, saccharine and wanting to say the right answer if I hadn't said that I've definitely gotten opportunities because I'm a person of color. But I've also gotten far less opportunities, too, because I'm a person of color. I think there was a moment, you know... Um, one of the big moments in my you know, career, I got a call and um, I started getting the calls were coming, more incoming, and they were like Steven Spielberg called. Um, and he, you know, they, he wants you to go come in. And I was like, Steven Spielberg called? And I was like, oh my God. And so I'm driving to the meeting and I was like, 
I don't know why they Steven Stiller called me. And I was like, this is about to be some black shit. <laughs> and I was like, I, I get into it and I was like, you know, and, and he comes and he's, and he's talking to me. It's about Indiana Jones. And they were considering like passing the torch to possibly Idris Elba. It didn't have to possibly maybe an Idris Elba type. And I was like, this is some black shit. <laughs> and it hit me, and I was like, you know what? Instead of running from this, I'm going to run toward this. And it was like a really big wake-up call. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to run toward it in a sort of like a, a way that I'm going to try to like use this, but I'm going to run toward it in a way that I'm going to try to elevate it. And I was like, I, I want the cause about black shit now. Call me because I want to say if you're going to bring that to me, I'm going to give you an elevated version of this. I'm going to make it a populist version of this. And I'm going to you know, have, I want this to be something that I can lean in and be really proud of. And that was when stuff started changing for me. You know, it was the idea of... You didn't run from it. I didn't run from it. And, and I didn't run toward it for the, the other reasons that I was thinking. You know, the other people had told me to run toward it. I ran toward it because I was like, I want to do it. And I want to do it at a high level. And I want to make sure I get paid at the same level. And that other people get paid at the same level. And that one day I'm going to get paid more. You know, and I feel like that was sort of like you find your lane and master that lane, you know, and then, you know, the, you know, the notion of like, look at hip hop, we just turned 50 years old and it was the music of the, of the streets. It's the biggest musical art form in the world, you know, and, you know, five years ago, I was telling everybody reggaeton, 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 they were like, you couldn't. And now all of a sudden I've had a studio tell me you have a blank check if you can bring Bad Bunny to me. Like, literally, if you can bring Bad Bunny to star in something, you have a blank check in a greenlit movie. Five years in, so I think that sometimes people are, the heat seekers are so far behind the curve. You know, I think the real thing is to sort of say, like, what is happening and be ahead of that curve. And I think that is one of the things that being a person of color and being, you know, from the hood and having my cousins and having my kids, that's sort of, I use that and I lean into it. Um, but I do often still see the, the versions of, like, you wouldn't, some of the things happen I, that wouldn't happen to me if I were, were, were black, you know, in a negative way. I still am seeing that doesn't go away, that hasn't changed. Um, but I do think that this is a business of relationships. And I think some of my, you know, best mentors are people like yourself and, you know, Katzenberg and this, you know, people I've talked to and can actually get answers from. But at the same time, James Lasseter, you know what I'm saying, who, you know, did, you know, the, you know, help Will Smith with his career. And I feel like bringing those two people together and bringing those communities together, really, I kept a lot of shit for it, you know what I'm saying? But I actually believe that we are better together. I'm not saying that from a Pollyanna place. I feel like I know my place. I know when to sort of like hop in and say, this is some bullshit and I'll call a spade a spade. But at the same time, I know I can get information and pass that on information on to people who look like myself, pass it on to my kids, and we can sort of come together and I, I think that's what the next you know phase of this is going to be is like how do we sort of keep our power position keep our place and at the same time grow it in a different way well it's interesting because you talk about the, the children you know in in the media industry uh, i was fortunate to be involved you know on the periphery of creation of the see her move, movement which was around um you know, making certain that uh, that we don't see too much objectification or any objectification of women. Not, can't be any. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, number one, but the idea and the premise was you have to see her to be her, and that's that same 
kind of, if I can't imagine myself there, yeah. then I'm never going to get there. I can't even, I can't conjure it up in my mind. And the content that is being created with that in mind is also very important because if you can't, again, if you can't see yourself in that, in that role, in that career path, you, you might just eliminate it because you say, oh, well, I, that wouldn't work for me. Well, why not? I, I completely agree. We, it's, you know, quick little anecdote. Um, I have a crew of writers that I write with. We share a lot of things. We all, you know, sort of like write almost as a salon. Two of the guys I was working with, they were taking their pass before we turned the script in. It was about, we're doing an animated show about basically an animated version of Blackish. And they put their names, are Danny Siegel and Isaac Samus, and they put their names on it. And I went in and I was like, guys, where's my name? Why didn't you put my name on it? And they're like, oh, wait. And I was like, you guys think you guys can write a show? Dating Siegel and Isaac Seamus can write a show about a black family. And I was like, that'd be like me and, you know, Marcus Jackson writing the Rosenbooms, you know what I'm saying, or, or the Wongs. And it, I told my boy, I was like, if I, wrote a sh- if I wrote a movie about the Holocaust, as I push send, it would be the end of my career. You know? And, and I start, we started laughing, and I was like, but the interesting thing was, there were black people in the Holocaust. And I, you know, I turned. We started having a conversation. I got into the spiral, and I started researching. <laughs> and there is this amazing story, you know, about uh, Ryan. I think it's called the, the Ryan Blast, the, the Bastards of Ryan Blast, or whatever. And I was like, "There's a story about blacks that went through the Holocaust. They were sterilized and things like this." And I was like, "I would love to dive into that." You know, and to talk about that story from a really interesting place about some, and do it in a way that sort of makes us come together. You know what I'm saying? It makes us think about things. And, and so those types of stories, I'll catch shit from them because it's like I'm pandering. But I think ultimately those are the things that actually open up ideas. Well, you know, we're, we're more joined up than you think because the joke that I have to conjure up, and I just want to give a, you know, a, a warning. I can't get canceled for this, but, you know, back in the day, <laughs> um, there was the famous joke about Sammy Davis Jr. when he went to get on a, a bus in, in Alabama, and they said, excuse me, sir, but, uh, you know, back then, they said, Negroes need to go to the back of the bus. He said, wait a minute, I'm Jewish. He said, get off the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a shared experience. It is, and I think there's a lot of. I think that was one of the things about you people that I loved. No canceling, guys. <laughs> is that when so many things? You know, when Joan and I were talking, Jewish moms and black moms. You know, what I'm saying have a lot of things in common. They both like Cadillacs. They both smothered their sons. You know, what I'm saying. <laughs> um, you know, but like we started talking, we found so much. You know, Norman Lear has this... I don't know your mother, but I know Jonah's mother. I know that he, <laughs> yes. he got smothered. Norman Lear has this bumper sticker, and it says, just another version of you. And it really speaks to us, because I think we are all just another version of each other if we can stop and take a moment and don't let the powers that be sort of, you know, blur what the real thing is, is our humanity. And I think that's where humor, humor drama, everything lies within that. I tell my Catholic friends all the time that Catholic guilt and Jewish guilt are the same. It's just that they pay retail. It's <laughs> the only difference. But I, those are the moments with your friends that you can make those jokes and you can say things. So why can't we say that in entertainment? And I feel like I'm probably going to get in trouble one day. And I, okay, well, at that, I'll save some money. But I feel like you know, I'm going to keep trying to do those types of stories and keep talking about those things because I feel like that's where the growth really lies, is really trying to show us that we're more alike than we're, than we're different, and we are di- more different sometimes than we're alike. I think that America's a lasagna. 
You know what I'm saying? And the, the best piece of lasagna is when you get all the layers. You know what I'm saying? We get that one bite that has all the layers, and I think that's what we are when we're at our best. And and let's talk about um, let's talk about the state of our industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and when I talk about our industry, uh, I mean it in the broad sense, Kenya. I I look at it as kind of an intersection of marketing, media, advertising, entertainment, sports, and technology. I think that's the the universe that that most of us probably in this room live in at that at that intersection. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's changed dramatically is the financing aspect of our business and, and, and the capital structure of our business, particularly for somebody in your position who is a creator. The, the studio system as we know it has gone through some serious changes and you know you can speak to this directly because I think it's what, about 18 months ago, you and, and Rashida and Aaron Thomas uh, did a really groundbreaking deal with Paramount Plus to, uh, you know, create the BE2 Studios together. Talk about that and talk about how a, a, a deal like that would look today because I think 18 months later, there's a whole new set of, of people with money at the ready to, to be involved in creating and financing content. Yeah, I, I I think that you know one of the things that Michael did for me that really I think changed not just my outlook but my probably my career. He invited me for the first time ever to Can Lion, and it was at that moment I started seeing this, seeing what we do in a completely different way. And you told me that I would. And now we were five years later talking about it. I think the studio system is going to go away. You know, I think that we are it is at the place where it is a going to be a private equity production platform industry-driven thing. The studio used to be the bank with opinions, you know, and why do I get the opinions? You know, when I can now go get the bank and, and who will respect my creative vision and go straight to the platform and have more ownership um, and, the, and the bank will make more money. Um, I think that that is slowly, we're at that place right now and I think that that's where I said why that trip changed my life is that you understand relationships and you have to understand how all those things come together. Um, you know, I went to, left a lot of you know, money on the table um, for an equity share. And you know, there hadn't been a black man who had an equity share in a major studio. I went there in a board seat and things like that. And what I learned was that it's different. The money starts to dry up and things like that. And, but, I, but the thing that I saw mostly is that there's an amazing opportunity right now because there are moments like this where you come together and you have face-to-face conversations with money people who want to make money and who trust the creatives and will stay a little bit further away from the creative because they just want you to do good work to make them good money and at the same time platforms that want to have creative people who feel like they are free enough to say some things and you know make interesting projects and I think that that is a scary place for the studios um, but I do think that it's an amazing time for production entities and I think it's an amazing time for um, for the platforms to make different work and 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 let's talk about another source of funding that's always existed and and if you look back at the history of, of certainly not theatrical but television and and the like and not yet rolling into streaming full on but apparently we're we're at the front end of that 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 inextricable link that existed and continues to between advertising you know dollars and the content creation and distribution 
in the old days, obviously, <laughs> there was less respect for the advertiser because the advertiser was just the ATM machine you went to and they paid for the commercials and that financed the production, you know, through the studio, obviously. But brands today are realizing that they can't rely on the old model anymore either. That's right. And so, as we've tried to do over the years, we've tried to match up the content creators with the marketers and say, you're both suffering from the same wake-up at 3 a.m. in the morning saying, how am I going to continue to get my marketing messages out? And the content creators are saying, how am I going to finance this content if advertising is going to not be the primary source anymore? But now advertisers are waking up finally, I think, to the opportunity to partner in the creation of content and not just be financing you know through 30 second spots have you have you seen that change the conversations you're having Kenya uh, and absolutely I, I remember we were in can and you said this is going to go away you said that this is you know you don't want to take money from an advertiser and have to sit there and watch them go page by page by page by page you know and, but the idea if you can get advertising partners who want to come into the creative process early so that it can be organically integrated within the project and not feel like it is a, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm you know, kids have bullshit detectors, you know, like major bullshit detectors. And if you do something that feels like a big commercial and you're not doing a wink and a nod to it, they'll tune out on you. And I'm saying that the, you know, the best way to sort of lean into it now is either give a really strong wink and a nod so that they know that you're not trying to do it, or you partner with the advertisers in a way with, to, that they know that you have you know, fi financing and that their money is not the end-all be-all, but that you want to do something that feels like a good piece of you know, creative project that will make them look good and not look like just a, a payola. You know, so that would turn them off and you know, the greatest way I talk quick little story that we talked about. One of the biggest video directors in the world is this guy called Bennett, who's become like a young little brother. He did, um, he was doing a series of, of videos called the Apple, the iPhone series. And there were billions of streams being shown off from these videos he did. Apple called him. They wanted to write him a check. Pretty big check, you know, 10-figure check. $10 million, I don't know, is that 10 figure on whatever? Anyway, wanted to write him a big check for this. He said no. They asked him to write him a bigger check. He said, no. He's like, you don't understand. If I take this money from you, my followers will say that I sold out. And he's like, my career is bigger than this money. And he was absolutely correct. And he's like, you keep calling me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it the Samsung series. <laughs> and, and it literally, well, you know, this is a guy who understood at 24 years old to turn down 10 or $15 million because it was bigger than that. And I feel like, you know, he'll come back to Apple and they'll see that he has that. But more importantly, his fan base will respect him. Well, and, and, you know, we, we talk about this quite a bit. Um, we've laid down some words in the industry at MediaLink. I, I came up with some words, and I wrote them down on a piece of paper, and I realized, and this cuts right to that, that it, it, coincidentally, there was 10 words, and five of them started with the letter T, and five of them started with the letter C. So let me run you through okay. what I started to call our T's and C's, and I don't mean terms and conditions. Okay. But our T's and C's, trust transparency, talent, technology, and transformation. If you're trying to start a conversation in the industry, at the intersection I alluded to earlier, if you drop any of those five words, you're going to start a conversation. I agree. The other five, the C words, <laughs> and I think this will uh, appeal to you uh, particularly, is content, creation, culture, 
community and creativity. And then just for fun, I'll throw cash in because, you know, it's Don't throw that in for fun. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, there's <laughs> nothing fun that about that. No, no but I, that's, that's but, th- but those But those words seem to be kind of central to all the conversations we're having. Trust and transparency, to your point about the bullshit detector, people just know. They, they know if you're, if, they're, if you're trying to play them, they know it. And you have to be transparent about what you stand for and, and, what you're, and what you're trying to say. Talent, both the dearth of talent, the need for diversity, and, and, and the criticality of that. And uh, transformation, I haven't bumped into anybody recently that isn't on some sort of a transformation journey, personal or business. And then back to the C's, content, creativity, community, culture, curation. That's my life. I love That's that. your life. I love the C's. <laughs> and, and, you know, what, what I found is if, if you line up against those, you know, those words, that, that, that propels you into uh, a good place with the consumer right now because the consumer wants the curation. They want the, th- that community feeling is important. Yeah. I, it, it's, and I think that we are at, you know, cancel culture to me is... Like I said, it's a really dangerous thing, but I do think those things you just talked about fight against cancel culture because those things are things that say, like, if you do these things, you are appealing to what art is really about. You know, and it's about human beings being moved and touched and starting conversations and, and building relationships and building bridges and not tearing them apart. And, and Tyler, I, I mean, I, I asked this question to Tyler Perry, and, I, and that's what just triggered this, Kenya. I want to go back to the beginning. I asked him that question uh, many years ago. I said, what made you know you were funny? What made you know that you, you'd be good at what, you're, what you do? And he said, when he was young, his mother told him he was funny. And that's <laughs> how he got it. And I said, well, that's funny, because when I was young, my mother told me I had a good voice, and I'm not a singer. <laughs> but what was your... What was your what was your inspiration? What made you know, because you mentioned Katzenberg before, I asked Jeffrey a question years ago about talent, and he said, you know, people, young people always say, I want to do the thing I'm passionate about, and Jeffrey said, I give them advice, do the thing you're good at, and you'll become passionate about it. What's the thing that you were passionate about as a kid that said, this is where I'm going and this is why? Um, girls. <laughs> I, I, I knew I liked this guy. <laughs> I remember it was seventh grade, just when you really started like girls, and, the, and my face just broke out. Like, cystic, I, it was, and I remember I was walking to him. I had a really hardcore mom. I was walking to my mom's car, and I caught a reflection, not the mirror, but which was even worse, I caught the glass reflection of my face. And I was like, Mom, I can't go to school. I'm a monster. And she was like, boy, you better get your ass in the car. And I got in the car, and I just was... You know, it was it was just the hardest thing for me. And I sat, remember sitting in the back of the class, and I sit in the back of the class, and for just a month, I just watched everybody. I watched every single person, every single person, just just literally watched them. And I knew somebody was gonna have some joke at some point. And he said something. Some guy said something to me, and I lit his ass up. And it seemed like I was just doing it off the cuff. I'm like, dude, I've been waiting for this a month. <laughs> and I started realizing that. You know, I got, you know, that got laughs, and if I could get laughs, I could get girls, if I get girls, I got friends, and I started realizing that... I'd leave it right there. <laughs> I started realizing that this was, you know, this was my sort of, you know, you take the, you know, comedy comes from pain, and I realized that my, 
gift that God had given him. I was, a, I was the kid who watched everything. And I was like, you know, really a, a stickler to detail and a stickler to sort of things. And I realized that you take what you, you know, what you have and you turn it into something. And that became, became my sort of North Star is like, you know, I wanted to make people laugh. I wanted to make people, you know, be closer. And at the same time, I wanted to, you know, be a little bit, you know, of a, of a, of a clown, you know, and I think that that was something I also love reading. And but that was the moment of like, how do I sort of you find how you how do you get in and, and where you fit in? And that was my way. Um, final question. You talked about us spending time five years ago in Cannes, and here we are now. When we're doing this five years from now, Kenya, will, will, will the conversation? What ways do you think the conversation will be different? First of all, ChatGPT will just write it for us. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I do think the conversation will be different because hopefully we're working together. You know what I'm saying? We'll figure out some. But I do think that a lot of us will be working together because I do think that it is becoming much more of a collaborative industry in that the bankers who used to just be sort of bankers are now saying that there is a, a sort of ne necessary involvement to really face-to-face -face interact and how we can help each other grow. And I think that that is... We will see, you know, the studio systems will figure out a way to, they'll have to keep themselves alive, but they won't be able to get into the, uh, it'll get out of the way of the creativity, you know, pipeline. The, the creativity pipeline will be much more now artists to audience. And I think that that is, um, I think that's where the best stuff comes from. Well, you know, we talk so often in, in, the, in the marketing space about direct-to-consumer and that's what you're talking about. It's yes. that one-to-one -one relationship. And, and I guess my really final question is, you've got a good gut. You, you, you obviously have a good sense of timing and, 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 and you know, the culture, as we talked about. In a world where so much data exists today to help you form what's next, what level do you rely on the data and what level do you rely on your gut? I rely very little on the data. I rely very, very, very little on the data. I, everything, you know, I was lucky enough to do this, you know, movie that we got, you know, unbelievable support from Netflix, but it wouldn't start off like that. You know what I'm saying? They literally, at this, the story of the movie was very interesting. It was something they didn't want to do. They let us have it out. Five studios bid on it. They bought it back for a lot more money. And when we actually, you know, Scott Stuber supported me in a way I, you know, most... Studio Chiefs won't, but at every point, I fought the notes, you know, to the point where they stopped hanging around, and I think they were like, well, we'll just see what happens, and what I found is you have to believe in what you're doing, and you have to be willing to fail, you know, and I felt like it was, you know, if you believe in, if you keep just listening to the data, the data, you know, is really interesting because it only works based off the numbers that they put in. You know, you know the metrics are, ba you have to- Garbage in, garbage out. Yes, absolutely. And I kind of feel like to, to be, you know, something that's not derivative, you have to do something that feels different and you have to trust your gut. And I feel like that gut to me is, is honesty. And I think that's where, I, you know, everything I try to do comes from a really honest place. And sometimes the honesty fights against, um, you know, what's going on, what, what they tell you to do. And I feel like for me, it, is, it hasn't failed me yet. And so that part of me, I'm not going to change. Kenya Barris, I want to thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you. Oh, I love you, bro. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys.